0: Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Southwinds as we are kicking off a brand new message series today called uh, Reaching Our Region. And, you know, when we launched our Next Gen Spiritual Journey together last year, uh, we said that reaching our region was a very central part of God's call on our church. And for years, we've had a vision as a church that we are a people who are loving God and serving God And through that, we are reaching out to people so that they can be touched by God's love and God's mercy and God's grace. And we want to do that in such a way uh, that not only Tracy, but also Mountain House, also Lathrop, all across uh, the West San Joaquin Valley, we we see the spiritual landscape of this this region being transformed by the grace and the goodness of Christ. And that's, that's our vision. That's what we want to see happen. And in this series, we're going to be asking, how can we do that? And what we're going to see is that it will only happen as we learn to love like Jesus. Uh, From time to time, people will send me emails uh, that have these kind of funny church signs, you know, the church billboard signs, where they put a message on there for people to see as they go by. And and I want to show you some of those. Maybe you've seen some of these on the internet. These, These are some actual church signs at actual churches that somebody has put up. Uh, like like this one right here. It says, now is a good time to visit. Our pastor is on vacation. So I don't know. Maybe you guys had this one up last week while I was gone. Could be. And then I I think this uh, Methodist church uh, really needs to invest in a new sign because their sign, it says First Congregational Meth Church. So maybe sending the wrong sort of message, you think? I don't know. I don't know. And uh, you really don't, want to, you know, make your sign guy angry at church, and you really don't want your sign guy to put signs up when he's mad. Because if he does, he might put some things up like this. Whoever stole our AC units, keep one, because it is hot where you're going. (laughs) So, um, in fact, this is really kind of a whole category of actual church signs that we might call unwise evangelism because they don't really connect people to Jesus Christ. Uh, this one is a little different flavor, but it, it kind of gets the idea I'm talking about. Life stinks. We have a pew for you. So, you know, that, that'll get you up on Sunday morning. Let's go to church, honey. Um, and uh, here's one that's a subtler approach it says, Lent is coming. Get your ash in church. Um, <laughs> Maybe not quite so subtle, I don't know. And uh, here's another one. It says, I find your lack of faith disturbing. You know, I mean, why, why quote Jesus when you can quote Darth Vader, right? And uh, then actually, <laughs> I, I really hate to say this, but there's a whole other category of these signs that really are just threatening. They say things like this. If you think it's hot here, imagine hell. You know, and then another one that says, choose the bread of life or you are toast. (laughs) Now, do not miss. Do you see up there? This is put up by Grace Baptist Church. It's like perfect, perfect. And finally, let me show you one more. This one says, surfers, skateboarders, musicians, artists, vegetarians, occupiers, activists, addicts, and fornicators are all going to hell. Repent now. I kind of have a feeling this church is not located anywhere in the Bay Area. What do you think? Because, you know, with a few exceptions on this list, like that's our church staff and our worship team. I mean, obviously, we we don't have any any skateboarders um, in the church. Well, uh, uh, some of these are pretty funny. And if you think about them, you can begin to tell Uh, that these signs let us know that a lot of these church people are kind of feeling besieged. You know, they look out, uh, they feel like they're under attack, the world's a mess, they don't know what to do, and so all they kind of do is just kind of lash out, you know, from their own little ivory tower. And I wonder if anyone else thinks like I do that there has to be a better way uh, to reach out to our neighbors, to reach out to our our city or to our, our region. Well we're going to talk about that better way. And what we're going to do in this series is we're going to explore some stories that we find in the Gospel of Mark, um, encounters that Jesus has with people. And we're going to look at some stories taken from the first half of Mark's Gospel, uh, which is really about Jesus coming to this earth, and he's making this announcement that he's coming as king, and he's he's bringing this message of good news. And he's demonstrating that he has the right to proclaim that he's the king and that he has the right to bring this good news. That's the first uh, half of the the gospel of Mark, chapters 1 through 8. Chapters 9 through 16, he demonstrates his kingship by going to the cross. And so we're going to be looking in these next few weeks at a a few stories taken from the first half uh, of Mark's gospel. And we're going to start in chapter 1 today, verses 40 to 45. You'll want to turn there. Now, as you're turning there, let me just say that uh, loving like Jesus means a lot of things. But what we're going to see is that reaching our region primarily will happen as we relate to and as we connect with some people the way that Jesus did. And and that's what we see in this passage. Mark 1 40 to 45 tells us about a man who had a life changing touch from Jesus. And his his story tells us, calls us uh, to reach out and touch someone. Let me read what Mark writes. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. You know, I was growing up, um, the most dreaded disease in my own little world was not leprosy. It was not the mumps or measles or even chicken pox. The, the most dreaded disease uh, for me was a more subtle and kind of mysterious disorder. There was no vaccine for it, there was no antidote, no known cure, and it was highly contagious disease. You, you never knew exactly what would happen to you if you contracted this disease. In fact, the, the mere mention of this particular disease was enough to just strike terror in me and in my friends because we knew it was a fate worse than death. And the only way that you could stay safe and make, was make sure that any of the carriers of this disease were strictly quarantined, that you had no contact with them at all. Now the good news about this is that it was a, easy to recognize uh, who carried this disease because this disease was only carried by girls. <laughs> See, every girl in the world except my mother was loaded with this one this was yes you know the dreaded cooties disease right and back in those days I mean all a carrier had to do was touch you or breathe on you or even look at you and you might be infected and nobody was crazy enough I mean all my friends to touch someone with cooties it was just like everyone who had the disease they carried this big sign around with them said don't touch you know, looking back then, if I had known that I would like spend my life living with three girls, I think I would have gone crazy because i for thirty one years now, have been living in Cootiesville <laughs> now, even adults can kind of have cooties uh, say you argue with your wife and she gets really mad at you and you want to make up, but she's still mad. And so you you try to apply like what we talked about in the marriage series that we just had, be unconditionally loving and reach out and give her a hug. And she says, what does she say to you? She says, don't you touch me. Stay away from me. Keep your slimy, filthy, inconsiderate, sex-obsessed, repulsive hands off. Quasimodo, now, my wife doesn't say that, but I've heard of some families where that happens. You know, I've heard about it in counseling sessions. And you know, when that happens, in an instant, you're aware that you have the cooties, right? You're untouchable. And we actually live in a world with untouchable people. A few years ago, I read about this in the eastern India state of Bihar. Um, a lower caste girl eloped with uh, a boy from the untouchables, the lowest caste of all. And the newspapers reported that with the approval of the village council, the girl was whipped, she was branded with a burning log, and they smashed the boy's head in with a stone, all because she dared to touch an untouchable. It's not usually that dramatic, but the truth about our world is is really this, every society has untouchables. People who, because of race or language or education, socioeconomic status, maybe, or, or even physical appearance, they are on the lowest rung of the ladder. The truth also is, at certain times and in certain settings, all of us, we know what it feels like to be untouchable, unattractive, unworthy, outsiders. See, Mark is telling us the story about Jesus' love for an untouchable. This man that comes to Jesus, Mark tells us, has leprosy. I want to take a few moments to describe something of what leprosy is like. Back in Jesus' day, the most common form of leprosy would begin with a a general sense of lethargy, uh, some pain in the joints. And after this, patches would start to appear on the skin. And that would horrify the person who had them because they knew that these were a death sentence. The patches would begin to grow. Uh, They would turn into nodules, sometimes lumps. They would be on the face, and uh, where they were on the face, they would eventually make this person unrecognizable. At some point, the the, the lumps would ulcerate and begin to emit a foul stench. Uh, Later on in time, the eyebrows would fall off. The vocal cords would ulcerate, and breathing would become kind of wheezy. Eventually, there would just be this loss of sensation, not able to feel pain, which is actually one of the most dangerous parts of leprosy. There's a man named Dr. Paul Brand, a Christian doctor who worked for decades with people who, who had leprosy, and he wrote several books about that. In one of his books, he wrote about how people with leprosy lose their ability to experience pain. He told of being in a village where a woman was cooking over hot coals, and some of the food dropped onto the hot coals, and she couldn't reach... Uh, the food with her tongs. And so she motioned to a man sitting next to her who had leprosy and he reached into the hot coals and he picked up the food and handed it to her. And Dr. Brand said after this, he he went over to look at this man's fingers and they were just blistered, charred stumps, but he couldn't feel. Another time, Brand said he tried to get into a padlock gate, but the the rusty lock wouldn't open with a key. And there was a young leper near him who saw this, and he stuck his finger into the lock and began to um, push it around until the lock opened. And he pulled it out, and Brand said he saw that it had been, it had been gnashed all the way to the bone. But the boy didn't feel it. Now, for a long time, people believed that uh, uh, lepers actually just had fingers or toes drop off. It just kind of happened. And Nobody really knew why. O'Brien well, said he had an observer stay up one night in a room uh, where lepers were sleeping, and he said they discovered that rats were coming into the room while the lepers slept, and they would gnaw on fingers, they would gnaw on toes. But the lepers couldn't feel it. They, they didn't know. And then they would just wake up in the morning and another part of their body was just, just gone. Eventually, with leprosy, there's a loss of mental functioning. After this comes a period of coma, and finally, uh, death. You see, in Jesus' day, and still in some societies in our day, the first sign of leprosy, just like a death sentence. We see some of this reality in the Old Testament book of Leviticus. There's an entire section which just deals with people who have leprosy. Notice these words. Leviticus 13, 45 and 46 says, The man with such an infectious disease now just kind of picture this in your mind, must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. See, that's the way it was in Jesus' day and religious people, good people who are trying to obey and follow God's word, they saw certain people as untouchable. Let me pause for a moment and ask a question. Is this still true for any of us today? In fact, I'd like you to write this question down and think about it. Who are my untouchables? Who are my untouchables? See, are there any people in your life, maybe some people in your neighborhood and you you really honestly do not want to have anything to do with them. I want to ask you this question. Could these be the very people God is calling you to reach out and touch? Go back to the story now. We've kind of seen this is a little bit of what life was like for someone with, with leprosy. And we know from reading the gospels that the rabbis took the scriptures and, and they did something that, that uh, maybe you have done too. They, they developed what we might call a strategy of isolation. In fact, people often develop strategies of isolation. Now, see, if a leper came into someone's house in Jesus' day, then that house was deemed unclean. That house could be destroyed because a leper had been inside just because of that. If a leper was seen on the streets in Jesus' day, people felt free to pelt him with eggs, maybe to pelt him with stones. And if you went so far as to touch a leper, you were defiled. You were ceremonially unclean. Now just put that all into your mind and think. Imagine, what would it have been like to be a leper? Imagine the thought of never being touched again never to feel the hug of a little child, never to know a friend reach out for your hand, never to feel your parent put their arm around your shoulder, never again to feel the embrace of your spouse. See, the law was very clear. The law said, don't touch And in Jesus' day, leprosy was not just about physical loss. There was a moral stigma attached to it. It was widely believed to involve the curse of God. And you see this in the language we we read in the Gospels. If people were cured of other diseases, they were spoken of as healed. But with leprosy, see, lepers had to be cleansed. See, they weren't just sick. They were unclean. They were defiled. Here's another question, just bringing this down home to where we live? What are my strategies of isolation? Are you aware of them? Are you conscious of these choices you may be making? Do you have ways that you make sure you avoid contact with certain people? And I want to ask again, could these be the very people God is calling you to reach out and touch? Rabbis in Jesus' day, they were, they were so clean. They would never, ever get even near that kind of uncleanness. And that's why we see that this leper doesn't just walk up to Jesus. Look again at verse 40. It says, a man with leprosy came to him. And Mark is painting this picture very carefully. He comes to Jesus in desperation. Mark says he begs. Mark says he falls on his knees. He's pleading with Jesus because he is keenly aware that even in approaching Jesus, he is violating the law. You need to understand this is the desperate act of a dying man who has nowhere else to turn, who has nothing left to lose. That's why he puts the question the way he does. He says to Jesus, you see it? If you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, if you read more of Mark's gospel, you're going to see an interesting contrast. A few chapters later, Mark talks about how this father of a demon-possessed boy comes to Jesus, and the father says to Jesus, Jesus, if you are able, would you cast this demon out of my son? Well, in this situation, it is clear the leper has no doubt about Jesus' power. He recognizes Jesus' authority, but he still comes, do you see it, with a deep sense of shame a deep sense of his own uncleanness, because because isolated people often develop a sense of shame and unworthiness. He knows he's not supposed to be there. He knows he's unclean. Look again at verse 40. It says, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This man is saying to Jesus, Jesus, I'm begging you, if you're willing, if by some inexplicable twist of fate, you would stop and you would want to help a leper. See, this is not just a nice story about a healing. This is shocking stuff. Anybody in that day hearing this would have been holding their breath, waiting to see what would happen next, trying to put it into context. I mean, just try to think about a disease in our day that's highly contagious, that creates a great deal of fear, that's fatal, a disease that has a big moral stigma attached to it. And you put this into 2017 and you start to get an idea about what's going on. Now, back in that day, every listener, uh, every observer who heard this story would have been wondering, how will Jesus handle this? What will Jesus do? Because they knew the law was clear and the law said, don't touch. They knew that religious leaders generally choose the strategy of isolation. They'd watched Their leaders avoid lepers and Gentiles and tax collectors, even women. Don't touch anyone. Their strategy, these spiritual leaders, their strategy for spiritual development was to isolate themselves. And that's how a lot of Christians live these days. Who are the lepers and the Gentiles and the tax collectors in in your world that you avoid like the plague? The rabbis in Jesus' day wouldn't eat with these people. They wouldn't talk with them, work with them. They wouldn't even look at them. This is a true story, not making this up, Uh, but there was one group of rabbis that were known as the bruised and bleeding rabbis. You say, why were they called that? Well, in their effort to stay morally pure, to avoid the sin of lust, any time a woman uh, uh, kind of, you know, appeared within their field of vision, they would close their eyes and they would keep their eyes closed until they were pretty sure the woman was out of their field of vision. And so therefore, they're always falling down and tripping over stuff. They were running into walls, hence bruised and bleeding rabbis. Don't touch. Stay away. Keep yourself clean. I mean, again, I am not making this up. And the idea behind this is that sin and suffering are contagious. Have you ever thought about it like that? So if that's true, that means the way to avoid these things is to separate yourself from the people and from the places where sin and suffering happen and kind of to live in a spiritual quarantine. Now, let's be honest about this. We can understand there is a certain appeal to this strategy of isolation because this is true. Sin is contagious. Have you noticed? I mean, just something as simple as you hang around somebody who complains a lot. You ever find yourself starting to kind of complain a lot? I mean, it's just kind of the way it works. And we find ourselves thinking it sure would be nice maybe if somehow we could live in a bubble away from all the infection in our world. We find ourselves sometimes as parents thinking about that with our kids, right? I mean, the truth is the world is so full of destructiveness. All of us as parents would love to be able to put our kids in some kind of a quarantine, right? Now, Dan and I, our kids are grown. They're all adults now. And so I'm kind of looking back on this. You know, this is something that's a little bit in the rear view mirror for me. Our kids have made it through adolescence. They've made it into adulthoods. But I still remember, you know, those years, not too long ago, when my kids were at home And, you know, I kind of wanted sometimes to put a big sign in the front door. Maybe it would have said something like this. You know, if you're into substance abuse, casual sex, hooking up, alternative lifestyles, excessive body piercing or Lady Gaga, stay out, (laughs) keep away. And I don't know um, what Jesus would say to Lady Gaga, but I know what my wife would have said to Lady Gaga. She would have said, stay away from my sons, right? and i have a feeling that i'm not the only father in this room that you know wanted it certain times when our daughters enter into dating age to like you know put a big sign that was around them you know when they get to that age a big sign that had a gun on it and said don't touch right something like that and all the dads said yeah can tell who's got teenage daughters in this room right now so well throughout history Um, it's just been common. Religious people have often chosen what might be called the strategy of isolation. Avoid the world. Avoid sinful people. Just live in a religious quarantine. Here's what this story is telling us. It's telling us that Jesus shows us that God has forever rejected the strategy of isolation. Now, I want to point out to you some miracles in this story, and I'm going to start with this first one, and the setup is this. Jesus is a rabbi. Jesus is a teacher. The rabbi's job is to make sure the law is carefully followed. It's a leper's job to avoid all people, especially rabbis. Therefore, a rabbi is the last person a leper would ever want to see because he knows that he could get pelted with stones for breaking the law. Then he'd have it coming rabbis in Jesus' day, they prided themselves on being unapproachable. They thought themselves as so close to God that the common sinners, you know, should not be allowed to get too close to them. And there's a great irony here. The irony is there, there was only one rabbi that the leper could approach, and that rabbi was God himself. You see, Jesus had a quality that the rabbis don't have Jesus is eminently approachable and not just with lepers. It happens all the time as we read the Gospels. Jesus is hanging out with prostitutes, hanging out with tax collectors, hanging out with just kind of generic Gentile pagans. Here's the difference. The more religious the rabbis became, the more unapproachable they were. The more holy they thought they were, the more unapproachable they were. But Jesus, who's God himself, is spectacularly, Approachable. Here's the first miracle I want you to see. It's the miracle of Jesus' approachability. The miracle of Jesus' approachability. Go ahead and write this down too, because I want you to chew on it and think about it. Jesus is the most approachable person who ever lived. You ever thought about that? This is one of the the fundamental ways of distinguishing between Jesus' way of life, which is the way of life you and I are called to as his followers from that of religious people and how they live. This other way that leads ultimately to death. For people who do the religious thing, the more spiritually they become, the less approachable they are. But it's just the opposite with Jesus. You see, true spirituality makes you more approachable, not less. Jesus came, and he came to reveal that God, who who people thought was so unapproachable, in in all of his holiness, God is in fact a high-touch God. And we must not miss this. We are never going to reach our region unless we get this. It's at the heart of what we do as a church, our goal as a church is to create a place, create environments where people can come and they can feel the freedom to approach God, even if they don't get it, even if they're not sure they believe in Him. That's why we like to say around here a lot that at Southman's, no perfect people are allowed. allowed. I mean, isn't that good news? Because you wouldn't be here and I wouldn't be here, right? No perfect people allowed. And I want you to keep thinking about this. If this is how God looks at people, shouldn't we? Here's another question I'd like you to ask yourself, and it's this. Am I becoming more approachable or less approachable? You know, one of the ways to gauge your own spiritual life, where you are in your journey to become like Jesus, is look at who you hang around with. To look at who hangs around to you. Now, this is not about compromising on moral issues. I'm not talking about weakening your commitment to truth or purity. Far from that, and, and the reason I can say that is Jesus. Jesus, who is far from—I mean, who was perfect, like unlike us. Jesus, who was perfect, had sinners coming out of the woodwork to get to him, to get him to touch them. He had this kind of profound difference that drew sinners to him. He was so different from everyone, but they wanted to be with him. The rabbis, the religious people, had this superficial difference that pushed people away. Think think about it this way. Jesus was simultaneously the most holy and the most approachable person in the universe. We see this in the 10th chapter of Mark's gospel when Mark tells us the story of the little children coming to Jesus, he says people were bringing little children to Jesus in order that he might touch them. Maybe you remember the story, and the disciples saw this and it made them kind of angry. Uh, and they spoke very sternly to the people. They said, Do not bother Jesus with these people. I mean, because in their mind, little children, and this is the reality in that day, it's different from where we are today. Little children were on the lowest rung of the social ladder. And they thought they were too unimportant for Jesus' time. But Jesus saw this, and Jesus became indignant. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. Jesus is still saying that same thing to all today. He's saying, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are burdened. Come to me, come to me. Jesus is just waiting for us to approach him. He's waiting for you to approach him. And you know, there's some of you here right now and you've just been holding back. You're kind of standing at a distance from Jesus. And here's the reason why. You feel like you don't deserve to approach him. You think you're unworthy. Maybe it's because you're just not being faithful enough in the practice of some spiritual activity. Maybe it's because you have something you've done in your past or something you're doing even right now. Maybe you feel like you can't come to him. I want to tell you, this story lets us know you need to do what the leper did. You you need to forget about all these barriers. You need to run to Jesus, fall down before him, ask him to heal you, ask him to cleanse you, ask him to touch you. See, in the Bible, leprosy is always a picture of sin. And so, part of what is happening in this story is that Jesus is telling us of his power to cleanse from sin. And there are some of us here today who need to ask his forgiveness because he wants to give it to you today. Now, there's something else there that's amazing I don't want you to miss. The leper comes to Jesus while he is still a leper, while he knew that he was unworthy. That's the reason he begged Jesus. And again, this reminds us that so often we find ourselves thinking, do you realize this about yourself? We, we find ourselves thinking, you know, I've got to clean some things up first before I come to Jesus. I've got to take care of some problems in my life. In other words, I've got to get rid of my leprosy first. If the leper had thought that, he would have never come to Jesus. It's so easy for us to find ourselves thinking, and you know that you do. I know that you do because I find myself thinking this way. We find ourselves thinking, I just have to get my spiritual life together first, or I have to take care of this problem that I have a sin in this area of my life first. Then I'll come to Jesus. Then I'll approach Jesus. I want to tell you today, the only time to approach Jesus is now. It's always now. It's when you feel your need for him. The time to approach Jesus is precisely when you become aware of the fact that you're unworthy. That's when you go. That's when you approach. See, all you have to do is what this leper did. All you have to do is come and fall on your knees. All you have to do is say to Jesus, here I am. I know I'm not worthy. And Jesus will respond in the same way he responds here. He will be willing And that's actually, we see this uh, illustrate the second miracle, which is the miracle of Jesus' touch. You know, Jesus is approachable. This guy comes before him, and in spite of the fact that the law is clear that Jesus should not touch him, should not go near him with a 10 foot pole, the leper comes before Jesus and he falls on his knees. And I kind of wonder if he started out with his head down, not even daring to look up at Jesus. Because for so long, all he'd seen when he looked into other people's eyes was disgust and, and revulsion but I think he eventually looks up, sees Jesus. And verse 41 says that Jesus is filled with compassion. And it's then that Jesus does this truly remarkable thing. I want you to see it. It's in the text. I want you to notice what comes first, the touching or the healing. If you look at the text, you'll see it's the touching And this is so important. This is not an accident that Mark records it this way for us. Jesus could have done it either way. Jesus could have snapped his fingers and healed the man. Jesus could have just spoken words and healed the man. But verse 41 says this, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. And then Jesus says, I am willing. Then Jesus says, be cleaned." You see it? He touches the leper before he heals him. He touches the leper while he is still unclean. This is a great miracle because, again, the law said don't touch. But who made the law? God made the law. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. So this is God breaking his own law. God can do that because he's God. Jesus, again, did not need to touch this guy at all. But he's making a statement here, not only to the leper, but also to everyone who will ever read this story. The significance of this miracle of the touch is that Jesus is willing to share in another person's suffering in order to bring healing. Jesus shares our suffering in order to bring about our healing. That's the miracle of the touch. I want you to also understand this is precisely what happens on the cross, Jesus takes on our sin, takes on our death, takes our punishment so that we can take on his life. By his stripes we are healed. Romans 5:8 says, "While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us." He touched us before he healed us. And Jesus didn't call us as his followers to live in some kind of bubble, some kind of quarantine zone. Maybe you can think about it this way and get a picture of what church should be like. I want you to imagine a hospital, and I know some of you work in hospital settings. I want you to imagine a hospital where the one rule of all the hospital is no germs are allowed inside. That's the hospital's rule. What kind of hospital is that, right? You know, the doctors at this hospital say, we've had a successful day because we weren't infected. I mean, our patients, they're loaded with filthy germs, but we kept them outside. None of them got in. They all died, but we didn't touch them, so we're good. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? Is that how you look at following Jesus? Again, we're not called to avoid infection. We are called to share the gospel and save souls. And you can't do that from a distance. In fact, if, if, if we see our lives as successful spiritually, uh, when we avoid infection and suffering, we are making a mockery of the cross. We live in a world that's broken, a world that's infected with sin and suffering and pain, and those things are contagious. If you live like Jesus lived, if you love like he loved, you may get infected with other people's pain. It may not be convenient. It may be uncomfortable, but it is the only way to share Jesus' love with other people. You have to reach out, you have to touch someone. Anybody ever taken their kids when they were little to one of those expensive stores? And I mean, it's nerve wracking, right? You know, you're going through the store, you can hardly look at the stuff because what are you doing? You're looking at your kids, telling them to keep their hands down here, right? Which is the very thing they don't want to do. And you're just so afraid that they're going to reach out and they're going to touch something and they're going to break something and you're going to have to buy it, right? Well, the truth is, every day we walk through God's store and God's store is always filled with items of inexpressible value, items that are precious in God's eyes. And they're people, And each one of them has a price tag, lepers, AIDS patients, people living alternative lifestyles, children and old people, single and married, black and white and brown, rich and poor, wise and foolish, saints and prostitutes. And about every one of them, God says, they are worth the life of my son. See, God's shop, if you could think of it this way, is full of signs, but his signs say, please touch, please touch. It's too so easy for us to not feel like we want to do what Jesus did. We're afraid. We're busy. Maybe we're kind of shy. We don't want to get broken. We don't want to share in their brokenness. But it is only when someone is willing to touch like Jesus did, when they're willing to share in their brokenness and their uncleanness, it's only then that lepers get healed. Now, at this point of the touch, we, we come to really what's the greatest miracle in the whole story. Jesus touches this leper, he says, I choose to do this, I am willing, to be clean. And again, nobody in that day would do this, nobody would touch a leper, because you might get infected, you might get unclean. But what happens in this story has never happened before. It's the first time it's happened in the history of leprosy. Jesus touches the leper, and the leper doesn't infect Jesus with his sickness, Instead of the leper giving Jesus his sickness, Jesus touches him and gives the leper his life and his health. And we might call this the miracle of the immaculate infection. (laughs) In verses 41 and 42, Mark says there's the touch. Then Jesus says, Be clean. And then immediately the leprosy leaves because the leprosy could not coexist with the power of Jesus. Maybe you can think of it this way. Jesus reverses the curse, and that's what he's doing all through the Gospels. You ever stop to think about the fact that, that sin and suffering are not the only things that are contagious? Enthusiasm is contagious, isn't it? Laughter, laughter, is infectious. And faith and belief and optimism, those things are infectious, right? You see, the secret to health and true spiritual life. Becoming like Jesus is not to isolate yourself away from sin and suffering. It's not even possible. We live in a world that's broken, that's contaminated by sin, just like Jesus did. Now, the difference with Jesus is Jesus was immune to sin. Our immunity has broken down because we are fallen people. But what this is telling us is the secret to living in a contaminated world, is to be so filled with the life of Jesus, so filled up with the Spirit of God that when we touch the world, it doesn't infect us. We infect it. We infect it with this immaculate infection. Our world is messed up, right? I mean... We pollute the air. We pollute the ground. We transmit diseases faster than we can heal them. Our world is polluted at every level. And I hope you understand the reason the world is polluted fundamentally at the base is because it is polluted morally. It has been polluted by sin. That leads to every other thing we see in the world. The fundamental problem is sin. And we might think, because of that, our God is a holy God, the most logical thing for him to do would be to quarantine the world, stay away from that world, don't touch that world with a 10-foot pole. But God just has this irrational love. Instead of the world infecting him, he decides to infect the world. He sends his son into the world to touch us. Now again, this, this image of contagion is interesting. It, it goes both ways. Now, you might want to jot these references down and think about them later. In Matthew 16, 6, Jesus says to the disciples, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Now, we all know you put yeast in dough, what happens? It spreads, right? Jesus says to his disciples, Be careful. If you get around the Pharisees, their legalism, their exclusivism, their unapproachability is contagious. So beware the yeast of the Pharisees. I want you to stop for a minute and hear what's being said here. The only time Jesus says to stay away from people, be careful around some people, he's talking about people like us. You see that, don't you? You'll, You'll never understand the Gospels if you always look at the Pharisees as if, oh my goodness, they're so ridiculous. Actually, if you're thinking like that, you're doing the same thing they did. Jesus warns his followers about people like his followers who begin to misunderstand the gospel and misapply the gospel and live in ways Jesus never told them to live. He says, Beware of that. But then in Luke 13, 20, he's talking about the kingdom of God. And Jesus is always looking for pictures. And here he says, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? What do, how can I make you understand this? He says, I know the kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour. Now, the word measures here, it's not like your scoop that's in your flour bin, you know, three scoops. It's actually something that three measures would be about 50 pounds of flour. So this is enormous amount of flour. You put a little lump of yeast into it, and what happens? It begins to grow. It begins to spread. It begins to cover all of that flour. You come back, and the whole thing is leavened. Jesus says the kingdom of God is infectious. It cannot be stopped. It may look small and insignificant, like a little lump of yeast, but Jesus says you just keep watching. You may not be able to see it now because it's a whole lot of dough and only a little bit of yeast, but you keep watching and pretty soon the whole thing will be leavened. Pretty soon the kingdom of God will spread everywhere because it cannot be stopped. And notice what happens to this leper. Maybe you wondered why Jesus would tell him to keep silent. That seems kind of strange. I don't have time to go into it today. If you read through the Gospel of Mark, you'll see this again and again. Jesus is always doing things in people's lives and then telling them, don't tell anybody. Scholars call it the messianic secret. It's an important part of that time in Jesus' ministry. But Jesus tells this man who's been healed uh, not to tell people. And yet what does he do? He tells people he can't help himself. His faith is infectious. Verse 45 says, he went out and began to proclaim it freely. See, the word began to spread like a germ, like a bad cold. How many of you right now are kind of concerned? You know, we're almost through the winter season into spring and there's some people around you. They have the sniffles and they got something going on. You just want to keep away from them because you don't want to get anybody feel like that. Well, here's what I'm telling you to do today. Here's what this this message is telling us to do today, this story. It's reminding us of this old saying that Christianity is more caught than taught. Pretty true. Here's the deal. You gotta go out of this room. You gotta leave here today and you need to start spreading some germs. Start spreading some little germs of joy, some Jesus germs little germs of faith, little belief bacteria. You need to spread them around, infect some people, breathe on them, touch them, help them to hear the gospel. Go out and make some people sick. Some of you already know how to do that, all right? That's what Jesus is saying to do. See, have you identified who the untouchable people are in your world? It might be someone who's suffering and you know if you get close to them, you're going to suffer too. It might be a neighbor, and you really don't like them or how they live and how they act. Maybe it's someone you work with. It might be a person who is in your life, and they're difficult to love. How, how many of you have someone in your life, at least one person who's difficult to love? Would you be willing to raise your hand? Don't, don't look at them um, if, <laughs> if, if they're here. Um, you know, the truth is, We serve an amazingly approachable God, and nothing gives our God more joy than to stretch out his hand, break through our isolation, and touch us where we need to be healed. See, God longs to make this immaculate infection a reality in your life so that you can go out and infect your world. So how do we do this? Let me give it to you. Two things really quickly. The first is to kneel before God like this leper and ask him to touch you. Have you done that? Even though you're not worthy, you ask him to touch you. And maybe you're here today and maybe you've never taken that step in your life. Maybe you don't know God through his son, Jesus Christ. This is where it begins for you. You may feel like you're unworthy. You may feel like God would never love you. He could never love you because of what you've done or who you think you are. This story makes it so clear that no matter what you've done, the death of Jesus, the resurrection life of Jesus will overcome your sin, will forgive your sin, will make you new. Maybe you're a Christ follower and, and you've strayed away. You've done some things. You've gone some places. You've been somebody that that you don't really want to be. And maybe you don't feel like you can get close to God because you feel unworthy. The same thing is true for you. Ask him to touch you. Trust him to forgive your sins as you repent. And then the other thing to do is just to find those untouchable people in your life and do what Jesus did, which is just to reach out and touch someone. See, it's the only way we're ever going to make a difference in Tracy, in Mountain House, in Lathrop and beyond. Who does Jesus want you to touch? Do you know? Will you do it? Will you follow him? It's the only way we're ever going to reach our region. It's really what our lives must be about. And I I want to, before we pray, ask you to do something very practical. I don't want you just to hear this. I don't want you to maybe feel a little inspired by the example of Jesus. I want you to do something. And what I want you to do, just as a first step, is to write a name down of someone God you think is calling you to connect with, to relate to, to reach out and touch? Can you do that? Is there someone in your life? And maybe, maybe they've kind of been untouchable to you, but maybe they've not. Maybe you just haven't done it yet. Can you write someone's name down? I hope that you will do that before you leave here. If you find yourself, I'm, and I'm going to say this in love, okay? If you find yourself saying, I don't really know anybody, here's what I want to say to you as your pastor who loves you. You need to repent. If you don't know anyone... That means you're not following Jesus. You need to repent. You need to ask Jesus' forgiveness. You need to receive Jesus' forgiveness, and then you need to ask him to open your eyes to see who those people are, and he'll do that. He'll put you on on the right path where you can begin to live the way that Jesus lived. There may be also someone in this room, again, who feels kind of like this leper, who feels so ashamed, who feels so unworthy, who feels like like Jesus would never, never touch you. I want you never to forget what Jesus did in this story. He touched this leper and healed him, and he wants to do the same thing for you. Would you bow your heads as we pray together? Our Heavenly Father, we we give you thanks for your goodness, your grace. Lord, your amazing mercy and love. And Lord, we, we confess, every one of us, that we are all unworthy There's no one uh, who deserves your love, no one who deserves your grace. We are all sinners, but we're all worthy only of your judgment and condemnation. But in your love, Father, you sent your Son. And Jesus came and Jesus lived, showed us who you were, who you are. And Jesus died so that we could know you. Lord, help us to experience this reality again. Help us to hear uh, the truth and the message of this story again. Lord, I want to pray specifically uh, for anyone who's in this room right now who who feels unworthy, who feels kind of like a leper, who doesn't really believe uh, that you, God, would care. Help them to to know that you care. Help them to know that you love. And help them to receive that love today. Lord, may we all be people who reach out and touch the people in our world just like you did. May we live as true Christ followers, living the way that Jesus lived. We pray all these things now in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, and all God's people together say,